So, so it, is a, it is an amazing time of year and uh, my message this morning very much revolves around the communion as it did last week. Uh, it's just so important to focus on what's important this morning, uh, not always what we think is important but what you know, God says is important. Uh, sometimes we're only aware of what's happening immediately to us. And in this last year, there's been a lot happening to a lot of people. And even in this room, there are people affected by what's happened in the last 12 or so months. Uh, but there's all, always stuff going on in our lives. And, uh, you know, I know uh, this morning in this room, we would have our circumstances. If you've got circumstances, you don't have to put your hand up. But I would imagine there'll be people all over this room, although we come to church on Sunday... And, you know, we're happy and we're smiling and we greet people with a smile and we say, how are you? And people say, great, we're not always great. And we have circumstances and we have stress, stress. Does anybody ever experience stress? Yeah, you should try leading a church <laughs> because everybody's stress becomes your stress. And we also have our priorities. You know, priority number one can be survival. And it can be uh, keeping on uh, track with what's important to me. And so all those things we have, I understand that. But that can cause you to miss what is really taking place. Our circumstances, our stresses and our personal priorities can cause us to miss what God is doing during the season. It's smart to keep our eyes on what's important to God and what he's doing. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, we don't look at the things that are seen, but we look at the things that are unseen. And a couple of weeks ago, I did a message on the unseen realm, which we might continue in the next few weeks. So it pays to keep our eyes on what's important to God and what he is doing. Now, listen to this. I believe this to be just such a powerful reality. And I want to say this to everyone, every member of our church and every visitor this morning. Despite what you see and what you hear on the news, God is powerfully at work in the nations. He's powerfully at work in the nations. We hear a lot about China. And, you know, uh, we really should pray for people, for Chinese people that are in Australia right now because of the tensions the political tensions that are rising in the earth. But do you know what? In China, there is such a powerful, powerful move of God that by the year 2030, they are expecting that China will be the most Christian nation on earth. Things are not always the way that they seem. God is moving powerfully and he is powerfully at work in the nations. And he is powerfully at work in the life of this church. And if you're a visitor here this morning, you may have some idea of that. But over the last couple of years, God's been moving in this church and he's been doing some unusual things amongst us. And one of them has been, you know, uh, the renovation of this building, uh, what God's been doing there. And even those chandeliers up there. I was in Melbourne during the week at a pastor's network meeting and someone said, what on earth is going down on sale? What's with the chandeliers? So, you know, God just likes to put his little stamp on things. 
And I believe that God's done that. And of course, he uses people with an open heart to get those jobs done. God's powerfully at work in the nation, and I really believe that he is in the life of this church. And if you were here this morning, I want to say you're not in a perfect place. You are in an unusual place, a stable that's been transformed into a house of worship. You're in an unusual place, but you're in a place that God has set apart for a supernatural purpose in this generation. And I say that with an absolute confidence. There's something about this church. And every pastor would say that, hey. But I want you to know this morning that there is something special about this church, this church in the stables. I know that 35 years ago, God, in a night of worship in Albury, called me. He'd called me and, you know, formed me and fashioned me before I was formed in my mother's womb, the Bible says. But the calling became known to me in a moment of worship. And that is why worship, I tell you, you cannot diminish the importance of worship. This church is to be a worshipping church, a church of true worship. It's extraordinary what God's doing. And I know that wherever hearts are genuinely lifted to him, Wherever it is in this city, there are other places in this city this morning where people are lifting their hearts genuinely to him and he will be at work right there. Right across this region of Gippsland and in this nation of Australia, you can, be afford, you can afford and would probably write in being a bit concerned about the direction of this nation. But right across this nation, God has planted an answer in every city and in every region, and it is the church of the living God. Wherever people gather together and genuinely worship God, you will see miraculous things happen. You will see unusual things happen. Is that right? You'll see unusual things happen. Last week, I spoke about the incredible miracle of the Passover. And this morning, I just wanted to share about from Passover to Pentecost. And it represents a new beginning. And that's just where I'm coming from this morning. I want to encourage you uh, not just to go back to the way life has been because we're not meant to go back there. We're meant to go forward into the glorious destiny that God has for us. So last, year, last week we spoke about the incredible miracle of the Passover and you can tune into that on our Facebook page if you like. It's up this morning, I believe. But this week we're talking about from Passover to Pentecost. You know, today is the last day of the Feast of Passover. And, you know, the church internationally calls it Easter. I don't know why. Easter is not a Christian term. It's just something we got tagged with through the ages. But right now, you know, from uh, one week ago till now, Saturday night last week till right now is the Feast of Passover. And today, it's Resurrection Sunday because globally we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is really important and, in, and it's been burning on my heart. Uh, and it might be different for me uh, to what it is for you. But last year during the shutdown, the Lord seemed to reinstitute the significance of the Passover globally. 
The church across the globe seemed to gather online for a massive recognition of the Passover. Whenever God does things like this, he's about ready to move supernaturally and in an incredible way. And that's why I wanted to stop, do things a little bit differently, make this a communion service this morning, because last year God did something very, very powerful. I know for me personally, it was like God brought everything together in my understanding. I've been a pastor for nearly 30 years. I've been an assistant pastor for six years before that. I got saved about four years before that. And it's like everything I learned over that long period of time of 40 years, 40 years is that everything just seemed to drop into place with understanding for me last year. The Passover is one of the most significant events in history. In the initial Passover, God was about to release an entire nation of Israel into the next leg of their spiritual destiny. And it was recorded in history as the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. The original Passover landmark, the supernatural deliverance of a nation and highlights the words in Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That is Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, and it's in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You know, this is powerful. I really believe that, uh, you know, uh, the generation that's coming up, they need to connect all the dots together. And we need an understanding of what God has done from the beginning until now. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, God set eternity in the hearts of man, but, God's gone, but man has gone in search of many fables, many, uh, you know, things. But I really believe during this Passover time, God wants us to come back and even as a church to consolidate do you know, the sense of destiny over the people of God is amazing. I just heard from a man during this week by the name of Perry Stone. He's a prophetic type of guy. And he talked about how he'd done the genealogy from Jesus back to Abraham. And it came to 1,948 years. Where God made a promise to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you this piece of land and it's yours forever. And then we know that the nation of Israel disappeared in the first century following Christ. Gone. But do you know when it was, uh, it was born again? In the Gregorian calendar, 1948. Just everything, you know, the centrality of everything comes back to Jesus, our Passover lamb. You know... When you read the Torah, it's sort of read like inwards, like that. It's from the, the uh, beginning to the middle and from the end to the middle. And when you look at history, it's like that. But the centrality of the whole message of Christianity is the person, Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. 
So uh, I really believe this great miracle has been hidden when the church began to call Passover Easter. Because Easter is about chocolates and eggs. Let's face it, they're nice. We busted a few of them yesterday. Not against that. Let's celebrate in style and eat whatever chocolate is available. Whether it's an Easter bunny or an Easter egg or whatever, doesn't matter. But the message, the message is the message of the Passover. There's Owen and the girls. Good to see you. You're late, Owen. Good to see you. So in the initial Passover, God was about to release the entire nation of Israel into the next leg of their spiritual destiny. And it's recorded in history as the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. I'll just repeat this. The original Passover landmarked the supernatural deliverance of a nation and highlights the words of Scripture. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The Passover was celebrated annually in every Jewish household for most likely the next 1,300 years. How prophetic and how powerful is the Word of God and the amazing, perfect timing of God regarding the nation of Israel. From Abraham to Jesus... 1948 years in the Hebrew calendar, from Jesus to the rebirth of the nation of Israel, 1948 in the Gregorian calendar. We are living in the time of great happenings. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, it talks about the nation that sees this. The generation that sees this is not going to pass away until they see all these things happening. You've got to go back and read that in its context. But this generation that has seen the rebirth of the nation of Israel is going to see the most extraordinary things happening that no other generation will have seen. Get ready for what God is about ready to do. When God... Uh, initiated through Moses the Passover, he was about ready to do something. When God sent Jesus as the Passover lamb, he was about ready to do something. All the feasts of Passover that have been celebrated would have been very significant in their own time and context. And they all would have had their own significance, but this morning I want to highlight the original one. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, verse 22, where God gave, there's a plague going through the nation. The nation was in lockdown. This is why last year had such a powerful impact on me because it was the first Passover, according to one person who, who studies the Hebrew calendar, and I've no reason not to be like it to believe it, 3,333 years. And here the nations of the earth are in lockdown globally, and we are celebrating the Passover together. In our families, in our homes. And right across the nation, 
There were huge Zoom conferences where people came to, get, to develop a greater understanding of the Passover and to celebrate it together. You know, when Jesus said, do this in memory of me, he wasn't just talking about having a religious ritual, but it was like the Jewish people did who came back and celebrated the Passover every year at the same time because that was something that sustained them as a nation. Do you know what brings us together? The message that Jesus brought. And when we begin to take communion together, we are celebrating, we're doing a lot more than just a religious ritual. We are remembering from the beginning what God has done in the nation of Israel when Moses said to them, take the blood of the lamb and take your hyssop and spread it and put it on the lentil and the doorposts. It's the sign of the cross. It was a prophetic picture over 1,300 years before uh, Jesus came into the earth of what was going to happen in the future. And it is also a prophetic picture about what ready, we are ready to do now. I think it's really wonderful, you know, because this was an instruction particularly to fathers and parents to take that place in the household. You know, it is not my wife's role to do this, although if I fail to do this, my wife needs to step up and take her place. But as a father, as a leader of my household, it is my responsibility to take the hyssop and cover the doorposts of my house, figuratively speaking, with the blood of Christ. Because in this day, the most protective resource that we can have, or one of in the church, is the shed blood of Christ. And you know, when we take communion today, we're taking it, we're appropriating it in our own life, and in a sense, we are showing leadership in the house that this is what needs to happen. You know, the contemporary church has moved communion away from the centre and we've made something else the centre. But during this time, we need to come right back to what is important and that is communion, the Passover, what this is really all about it is the message of the cross. Because you see, because we have moved communion out, humanism has filled the church. And, you know, there is no longer any sin. It is all, we are the way we are because of the bad luck we had on the way here. But see, the problem is, it's the sin nature. And every one of us is just like the rest of us. Every one of us is just like the rest of us. We are all, sorry to announce this, but we're all sinners. Hey, we're all in the same boat. The Apostle Paul, who is the greatest apostle in the New Testament, he said this, which was a great door opener for all of us. He said, I am the chief of sinners. 
I identify with Paul. I'm glad Paul made it easy for me to say that. Now we can all say that together. We all are in the same boat. I'm a good preacher, maybe. Go on a bit long. I'm a good bloke. I'm a good husband. I'm all that. But do you know what? I've got a sin nature. We all have. And that's where the root of the problem is. So let's not make it something that it's not. It is the sin nature on the inside of the best of us that messes up our relationship with God. So all the feasts of Passovers that have been celebrated would have been very significant in their own time and context and they would have had their own significance but this morning I want to highlight number one, the original one. Recorded in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, 22, which pointed uh, over 1,300 years prior to the life of Christ, to the coming of the Messiah. He wasn't just somebody who turned up. He wasn't just an appearance on the earth of a prophet, a supernatural man. He was none other than the Son of God, the Lord Jesus himself, who became flesh, taking on the form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient. So there's the original one pointing to Jesus. Immediately preceding the crossing of the Red Sea, this is when it happened, but it gave, something happened because when the blood was applied to the lentil, the angel passed over and everyone in the households where this faith had been appropriated was protected. And not only that, they were delivered. We all need to be delivered. We need to be delivered from our past life. We need to be delivered from our sin nature. And we need to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. It's like the minute we believe we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the, tra- into the kingdom of his dear son. That is why we've got to gather around this regularly. So the second Passover that was, uh, is very significant and we want to highlight this morning is Jesus became the Passover lamb. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of the feast of Passover or the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to, for, uh, to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And uh, Jesus gave them the instructions and they went and prepared the place. And this particular place was a place called the upper room. It happened in the upper room. Do you know what? When we take communion today, we are reaffirming our covenant with the Lord and also with one another. So the Bible actually says, if you've got the lousy attitude to someone... Don't take communion, go and sort that out. Of course, we'll all be able to take communion this morning because I know you've already done that. (laughs) 
So is this all right? I'm just, I just really think this is something so important to teach. We won't be in this zone every week. But this is something that if we know the incredible power in the Passover, and the problem is, is that if we take communion and we have unforgiveness in our heart, we are dishonouring the, the, the Lord's table because we are saying that our problem and our offence with people is greater than the Lord's sacrifice. So this is so cool. You know, sometimes, oh, well, I can take up an offence. I can. I'll tell you, pastors are really good at it. You know, the first couple of years you can forgive everyone and then one day you go, that's enough, I've had them. <laughs> well, Jesus was on the cross and he, he showed us exactly what to do. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, they're just crucifying him. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. So maybe the greatest energy in the world, apart from love, is forgiveness, although one is the other. And they both come from God. But here, Jesus, they celebrated the Passover in Matthew, verse chapter 20. When the evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. It was in the upper room. And he was about ready to fulfill the just requirement of the law. In uh, Romans chapter 8, it talks about how when we, uh, Jesus has filled the just requirement of the law, now we can live in the Spirit just by following him and obeying him. Just means we need to learn to live above the sin nature. But every day in our life, we're not going to get it exactly perfect. Isn't that good? We don't have to be perfect. Isn't that good? What's the point of trying? Is there any point in trying to be perfect? No. Even the best of us are going to, you know, after church, blow it. After we take communion, after this message. Because we have a sin nature that is rooted on the inside of us. But now the Bible says that we are partakers in a divine nature. And that is the nature of God that now is placed on the inside of us. And if we will follow God and learn to say yes to God, the divine nature will become far, far stronger than the sin nature. And that is when we can really learn to walk and live in the Spirit in Jesus' name. So the problem has always been and always will be sin. Jesus' last words on the cross, according to the Gospel of John, is powerful. He said, it is finished. In other words, when Jesus, you know, the, according to the Bible, we're all sinners. Does anybody disagree with that? One of my atheistic friends who I really appreciate very much says, I have never sinned, I am imperfect. I go, gosh, you can say that again. <laughs> the problem is not that we are not perfect. The problem is, the problem to Adam in the garden was not that he was not perfect. What was it? Sin. 
And, you know, when he sinned, he was cut off from God and his nature goes from generation to generation. And the only hope for humanity is not some humanistic idea or some counselling concept or some positive vision. But the answer is that Christ becomes planted on the inside of us and the the, the divine nature begins to become strong on the inside of us. Stronger than the sin nature. And that means that as we go, as we mature, as we get stronger in our faith, you know, that area where the devil used to tempt us, used to really hold us back, we can go, no, nah, that's enough. I am overcoming. And this is what the Spirit of God helps us to do. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So this is how you, 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 uh, you know, when we're born, we're a child of God. And, you know, we've got this struggle going on between the sin nature and the divine nature. But as we continually say, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, the divine nature the Spirit of God on the inside of us is taking charge and we can live a victorious and fruitful life. And that is where every one of us is going. Every one of us is going to live that life. All you've got to do is say yes. Keep saying yes. How do you follow God? Just say yes. Don't say I can't. Don't say I can't. Just say yes. Will you follow me? Yes. I don't know how to. Will you do this for me? Will you reach out to your friends for me? I can't do that. Or you can say, yes. And you can find a way. And this takes us further, takes us further, takes us further. What a future we've got. It's extraordinary. So the most amazing Passovers that I want to highlight is one, the original ones. Number two, the Passover lamb, Jesus. He was the lamb of God. John identified him as the lamb of God. Right from the start, because I don't know whether John the Baptist knew it, whether he knew that Jesus would lay his life down on the cross but do you know the prophetic patterns in the Bible are so wonderful and amazing, they all point to Jesus. Abraham was given a son in his old age. Sarah conceived in her old age. And the son of promise is born. And then God begins to challenge Abraham and says, I want the son that I've given you back. He takes him to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. Of course, the Lord was just testing his obedience. Abraham, sorry, Isaac, the son of prophet, the promise, carried his, the, 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 own, the wood for the sacrifice. Prophetic picture of Jesus who carried his cross all the way to Calvary. How amazing is the Bible? All these prophetic pictures. Do you know what? If you look at the evidence, there's, there, the evidence cannot be refuted. Do you know that? The story that I'm talking about cannot be challenged in a court of law. 
It's historical fact. There were 500 people witnessed the risen Christ after he came out of that tomb on the third day. Man, I tell you, if you robbed a bank and there are 500 witnesses, I tell you, sorry, you were going in the nick. <laughs> this passes, this is an amazing cold case which has passed uh, the treaties of evidence. Jesus is risen from the dead. So the original one, Jesus, uh, you know, uh, and what happened after that, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit gave birth to the new creation. And now each one of us who genuinely in our heart confesses that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and if we receive him into our life this morning, we are now born again. We are a child of God. And I pray that if there's one person in this room this morning that is not sure about that, that you would just give Jesus an indicator that you were on his team. Jesus was crucified between two criminals. One of them said, ah. The other one said, I believe. Jesus' words will give you and me great encouragement this morning. I promise you that this day you'll be with me in paradise. What an extraordinary message this is. This is the message that will change the nations. There's nothing else that will. Buddha's dead. Muhammad is dead. Every other prophet that is outside of Christianity is dead including all the prophets in Christianity. <laughs> Except Elijah, he, wow, he was really Jesus. But Jesus is risen. He's alive, just as alive as you are and I am, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father today. And if we receive Christ into our life, he can become as real as I am and as you are to us. Awesome. Powerful. So last year this and this year was amazing because one of the things about the original Passover, it spoke about the formation of a nation. They were just families and believers in Egypt that just happened to grow up there. But God supernaturally delivered them into the wilderness and they became a nation. Say that, they became a nation. God gathered all the people together and they became a nation, not just any nation. God's nation, God's holy people. And that's what we are called to be today. We are not called to be scattered in the cities and the nations of the earth. God wants to do something and that is why I really wanted to do communion this morning because I want to speak prophetically into that. So last year and this year, God gathered people together all over, families and thousands of people on Zoom to celebrate the Passover, to learn about it. Man, it just got in me, I could see it. I was down here one night preaching my message about the Passover and it just, whoa, I saw it. I got it. 
Sorry, Jesus, it took me so long. But sometimes we just don't get it. I guess it's impossible to get everything straight away. But you see, we've come through now the Passover. And now the events of the next 50 days are very significant. The next 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, after the Passover which included the resurrection of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit are very important. They are a record of the most powerful intervention of God's into the affairs of men ever. If you really understand it, really believe it, really get it, this has got the wow factor. Jesus walked the earth as a sinless man. We saw miracles, signs and wonders. And we've seen heaps of that with people. You know, there's heaps of people. We've had them in our own church, miracles. But Jesus died on the cross. But the thing that sets him apart from everything else is the resurrection factor. Now, this is awesome news for you because you would have areas of your life that are dead today. Relationships things that have been important to you, things that are broken. Do you know what? The resurrection factor needs to be applied. A marriage that is broken and smashed can be resurrected and put back together. We've got one of the most ripper testimonies in this church of that. Plenty of people have had bumps and sorted it out, but when a marriage is over and it's over and God resurrects it, Wow. And not only resurrects it, but makes it an A1 marriage. My goodness. This is proof of the resurrection. This is the proof of the God that I serve. Because I tell you what, if you're in some other religion, do you know what you're doing? You send that person a Molotov cocktail. You deal with it. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. But when Jesus is in control, all sorts of miracles can happen. So the original Passover pointed towards uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Do you know what? There is an incredible book which I'll encourage you to try and track down. And I won't be long. And everybody said, thank God. <laughs> it's called, What Happened from the Cross to the Throne? What Happened from the Cross to the Throne? Now, let me tell you, you've got no idea. And neither have I. Get that book and have a look because you can't really understand Christianity unless you understand this. What happened from the cross? You know, it looked like everything had gone so wrong for Jesus. But do you know what he did? He took his blood, his very own blood, and he took it into the heavenly realm and put it on the mercy seat. Well. And now that gives the Lord permission to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church. Now, this is the bit I want to get to as we take communion. There's been a couple of great Passovers. The original one, Jesus, the Passover lamb, last year was, whoa. Those three Passovers are amazing. And every other Passover in between. 
But this one today speaks to us. What is God going to do now? Amen. What's he going to do now, church? City builders, what is God going to do now? And I want to speak a couple of things out prophetically because I believe this is what God is going to do as we take communion and we embrace this next 50 days and we approach Pentecost. There's going to be a new move of God. Number one, there's going to be a new move of God. There's going to be a fresh, tangible breeze of the Holy Spirit in the house. There's going to be a move in this church. I said that last week, and what happened to you, Christy? Christy, I think a couple of people, I spoke about that, and two people came to me after and said, I felt a breeze when you said it. Now, I'm not into all that stuff necessarily, but when that happens, I reckon that's pretty cool. And it's like God is saying to you, I want to do something for you. You know, when Jesus had risen from the dead, he said to his disciples, go back to the upper room and wait in the upper room because I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. The promise of the Father is going to come to you. Are you ready for something? Do you believe that God can do it again and, and do something that he did, you know, something that he did in the past, but something even more significant to our generation now? Who knows? There's going to be a new move of God, a fresh, tangible breeze of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be a global awakening. It's bad news for the devil. I tell you what, the 50 days following the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was horrific news for the kingdom of darkness and for the devil. Do you believe there's a devil? Horrific news. Well, I'll tell you what is horrific news for the devil in this time. When people begin to realise the power of the Passover and they take communion like they mean it, and they go, this is a covenant deal. I'm going to lay my life down for you, Jesus, because you laid your life down for me. That's the real thing. Instead of passing all these stupid laws and stuff, do you know why that's happening? Because the church has gone back to the humanistic thing. But the problems are sin nature. Number two, there's going to be a gathering in. Going to be a gathering in. Oi, listen to me. There's going to be a gathering in. You know, God's given us this building here. It fits about six or 700. He's, he just did that. And family in our church, you've got the one next door. We can fit 300 in there. Do you know what God's doing this? There's going to be a gathering in. Good on you. Do you know who the gatherers are? Put your hand up and if you know the answer. Who? No, the angels are going to gather them in. It says it. No, you too, all right? My friend John, that's why I acknowledged him. I sent him a text last night. I said, how about you come to church? And he said, soon, it's a special day. God's going to gather people in. Number one, there's going to be a move of the Spirit. Number two, there is going to be a gathering in. And it's in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. 
and it's talking about this generation. Not long, I'll be finished earlier than I was last week, so that's pretty good, Archie. 25 verse 21, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. God's going to gather the nations back into the church. First Passover was wild. The church was formed. Second Passover, the price of the, of the church was paid, which was the blood of Jesus. But these Passovers now represent the gathering back of the remnant church because God is about ready to invade the nations. And if you can't say yes, yes, amen to that, you need a revival. God's got to get to you. There's going to be a gathering in. It is a Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. There's one day where you better get here early to get your seat. It's coming. And not only in this city, but in cities across the earth. I'll tell you what, because there is a revelation of what God wants to do that is coming so powerfully to the church. It's not church as usual. Uh, uh, uh. It's supernatural. But the barrier to every move of God is the sin nature. That's why when we take this this morning, it's going to be powerful. There is going to be a gathering in. And according to this gathering in, there's going to be a separation. You get a bit nervous when you read this stuff, but we're really living in some kind of an interesting day where there's going to be a separation between the flesh and the spirit. We've got to find this way of living in the spirit. And we'll talk some more about that as the weeks go by. There's going to be a gathering in and a separation. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. You know, it's going to be some, some, some surprising people make it across the line in the end. People you just never would have thought. How good's this? There are people who got this revelation that I'm talking about. Hey, I'm glad you're here. And you might think this morning, oh, I haven't heard this before. Well, I tell you, we should have heard it every Passover, but we've been hearing about Easter bunnies instead and other things. There's going to be a gathering in. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Number three, there is going to be a gathering together. There's going to be a gathering together. Do you know what happened when the Passover happened? Twelve tribes that were all separated in the land of Egypt were separated, but God gathered them together. He gathered them together. And during this time, that song that we sung this morning, Father, bring us together, is so important because, you know, there is a separation between true and false, oil and water, soul and spirit, but God is going to bring the tribes together. Do you know what it's like? We are a tribe. Just a little one, but we're a tribe. 
And there's other tribes. There's the awakening tribe. There's the prophetic tribes. You know, there, there are the priestly tribes. There are the worshipping tribes, and God's going to bring them together in cities and regions, and it's happening. I'm experiencing it. I'm experiencing it. You know, I'm, I'm leading a pastor's network in Melbourne, and I'm thinking, God, this is amazing. You've called me to do this, but the people that he's put on our team, different tribes and nations, God's going to do something in the nation, but you've got to be gathered together or you cannot contribute to what God is doing in the future. Don't forsake the gathering together as is the manner of some, especially as you see the day of the Lord coming. That is Hebrews chapter 10. So there is going to be a gathering together, a gathering of tribes, and the sense of nationhood will be restored. Do you know what? We've lost our sense of nationhood because we have lost our prophetic and righteous leadership and God is going to deal with it. This is prophetic word. The sense of nationhood is going to be restored to Australia. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you, I'm talking about you, us, we, and everybody can pick up this frequency. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Quit living like you're on the long weekend. And let God gather you together because God's got a job for you to do. Number one, there's a new move. Number two, there is going to be a gathering into the house. Number three, there is going to be a gathering together. Man, when God asked me to lead this pastor's network in Melbourne, I just felt, I don't know how I can do this. But after 10 months of leading that, it's like we have different people from different nations, different denominations, and they are all going, we're in this together. God's doing something beautiful. Don't be out there on your own. Become part of what God is about ready to do in the future. Next one, there is going to be a tangible increase of his government. Do you know what? When God brought them out through the Red Sea, Moses had to bring down the government of God. Like you on your own, you don't need any government, hey? Government in Australia is not working. But when God brings us together, there's going to be an increase of his government. I tell you what, you may have no government in your house. No, you might feel, I can't lead my family. Well, this is what you do. Starts here. Starts here. Let's come back to this. When the wheels are falling off at home, I'll bet you, you are not doing this. Amen. Got to come back. Hey, this is, uh, this is, you know, not trying to be a wake-up call or anything like that. This is good news. This is strategy. That's how you bring the government of God back in. So Moses brought them out there and he went up to the mountain and God said, here it is, Moses. This is how you control those rogues down there. He gave them the law. 
Back down he goes. What on earth has Aaron done? He's built a golden calf because there's no law. There's no government. But do you know what? When God gathers the church, gathers the remnant during this season, there is going to be a tangible increase of the government of God. It's just going to be like God ruling from heaven. You know, we were at the Thanksgiving at Joy's the other day and I was just astounded. There's no one in charge. There's no one telling what people should do. It was just awesome. It was just love. Every now and again, you used to have to, might have to pull the kids back off the street or something like that. But do you know what? Where the government of God is, there is liberty and freedom. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called... Come on. His name shall be called Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. So this Passover is an announcement to the principalities and powers. It's all over. It's all over. We're getting to the business end and something's going to rise in the earth God's going to restore his government in the house, through the house. Churches like this are critically important to God's plan. Hey, listen, as the church, we're never called to be just a gathering or a holy huddle. The people of God, wherever they were in the nations, remembered the Passover. And because they honoured God in this way, God brought them back to their homeland. And this morning, as we take communion, we want to take communion with the highest honour. 